1: Everyone, welcome to LawPod. I'm Ruby. In this episode, we bring you a brief overview of the path to the bar of England and Wales with two Queen's University law graduates. Firstly, Kira Van Al, a current bar course student at the University of Law London, Lincoln's Inn bar course scholar, and future pupil barrister at the Government of the Legal Department, and secondly, Jack Meek, a barrister at the UK Government Legal Department and Bar Council Social Mobility Advocate for 2021-22 keep listening to find out how to best apply for scholarships, study on the bar course and gain insightful advice on the advantages of mentorship, pupillage applications and interviews. Enjoy. Hi everyone. So my name is Vinal. I started at Queen's, so I started my law degree in 2018 and then so I've graduated just this summer, albeit virtually, hopefully that won't be the same for you. Um. So yeah, so I finished my law degree this summer and then and um, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship from Lincoln's Inn, which sort of fully funded my bar course. Um, so I started the bar course at the University of Law in Bloomsbury, so in London. So I started that in September of this year, and I will finish that in May of next year. Um, and then after that, um, I will be starting pupillage at the Government Legal Department in September 2022. Um, so that's just sort of my path, I suppose. Um, when i was at queens um i got involved with mooting with dr kaffer um i was also involved with queens women in law and they also you know host some great events as well so definitely look out for those um that they host different events on not only just pass to the bar but you know other things to do with law too um so yeah that i suppose is my path here today um i went to a lot of these types of events when you know i was at queens too and i found that they were know, really helpful. And I think for me, I found that the ones that were a little bit more informal, just more of a kind of chat and advice rather than sort of a presentation, I found those a bit more beneficial. So that's kind of the way that we've hoped to structure this event today. And I hope you will take something helpful away from it. But yeah, thank you all for coming. Um, so yeah, I'll pass back to Jack.
2: Thank you. Uh, and I'll apologize in advance. My introduction will probably be a little bit longer on the basis that I'm much older. Uh, sort of been around but i I am also a queens alum so i started at queens in 2007 uh, studying law and i uh, aside from a year out in the united states to study business as part of what is now study usa what was then the business education initiative i graduated in 2011 and then i stayed on at queens to do a master's degree in human rights law before then coming across to england Um, and as you can hear i am a local uh, of, of Northern Ireland. Um, so it, it was a, a complete change in scenery for me, um, to come across to England. So I studied my bar course in Manchester in 2012, 2013, having had the benefit of a, a scholarship from the institution itself, to part fund my studies. Uh, and then after that, obviously throughout all of this time, you're applying in the hopes that somebody will see your potential and take you on so that you can enter practice. It didn't work uh, quite so smoothly. For me, so I, I I was called to the bar, um, which is uh, sort of formal, your um, recognition at the end of your uh, academic path, of studying the bar in 2013. But I didn't commence practice until September last year, uh, and in the meantime, I did a number of things. I came back to Northern Ireland um, for a few months, and I worked at Herbert Smith Freehills as a paralegal uh, whilst I was. Studying for the New York bar, which I subsequently sat and passed in February twenty. Oh, I'm losing track of time now. Um, twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. One of one of those years. I'm sort of losing track of time. I came back from. Um... Oh yes, so it was after <clears throat> taking the New York bar exam, I transferred back to London through Herbert Smith to continue my work as a paralegal before then winning the scholarship from my end of court, and we'll tell you, we'll speak a bit more about ends of court and things shortly, um, to go out and work at the European Court of Human Rights for three months at the beginning of 2015. came back from that at the beginning of April 2015, and after a few months of sort of looking for work, I then moved to Thomson Reuters Practical Law. And all of you probably more familiar with Westlaw, so part of the same company, and I was working there in an editorial capacity. For five years. So, firstly, in civil dispute resolution, uh, international arbitration, and then latterly for Brexit, uh, covering Brexit. And obviously, you know, that's all very useful experience. And finally, I was offered pupillage to start practice with the government legal department in September 2020. So, I qualified as a barrister in September just past, and I'm now currently working in the cabinet office on the Northern Ireland protocol um, so you'll appreciate that there's very little I can say about that and the, 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 I'm sure it's a, there's a personal interest for some of you on the call I'm sure um, but and then I, I will move to do uh, commercial law in within government in March uh, before then sort of seeing where things stand in September next year whenever cures Starting, so I'll see what what position I'll move to within government at that point um so that's a very well I've kept that as brief as I can on history by means of introduction, uh but we thought as I say that we we try not to take up too much time just us talking at you because we think it's it's more useful um for you to be able to ask questions of us and us to sort of you know and, and no question is too silly. Um, you need to get the answers and the only way you're going to get them is by asking those questions. Um, but I echo what Kira said about the events and things at Queen's. Uh, I know Kira was involved with Women in Law and I came along and spoke at a Women in Law event last year. Uh, and th- we should also say as well that the reason that Kira and I met was through, uh, the, the, you, might, you might say that the, the Inns of Court, um, so these are institutions for which you need to join, um, just is a formal requirement host open evenings like university open evenings, uh, and Kira came across with Queens uh, a few years ago. I was there in my capacity as somebody within the within the legal world um and sort of we met and I've been keeping in touch and sort of you know working on applications and interview techniques and sort of getting experience and stuff together um so I'm Delighted to see how successful Kira's been, and that is all down to her, I should say as well. But it's it's nice to see a Queen's student do so well, and hopefully we are testament to the fact that there's no bar, if you'll forgive the pun, on coming over here uh, and considering something different um, for your career if you want to enter the profession as a barrister, but don't maybe think that the bar library in Northern Ireland is the place for you. Um, so. What I was just going to talk about very briefly uh, before i pass to Kira, who speak to you about uh, applying for scholarships, studying on the bar course, pupillage applications, was just sort of the very first principles of what it means to come to the bar, the sort of key elements of coming to the bar in England and Wales. So you, I'm sure many of you are familiar that the way it works in Northern Ireland is you have a bar library system uh, and so you go and you study at the Institute of Professional Legal Studies and... In England, it's, it's very different. So the, there is no sort of central bar library system. Most people, whenever they join practice, join what's called a set of chambers. And these are sort of collectives of self-employed people who have perhaps shared uh, areas of expertise and come together uh, and sort of work. So it's, it's not a law firm. Uh, but they will, you know, collectively pay in for the maintenance of the building and sort of for their clerks to organize their diaries and all that sort of stuff. Um, the the what that means is, it's it, it's very difficult to get into the system of what you need to. But I'll, I'll start at the beginning. First thing you need to do if you're thinking about a career at the bar in England and Wales is you need to join one of the four inns of court. And those are Lincoln's Inn, where both Keir and I are members, uh, Gray's Inn, um, uh, I was about to name Harry Potter houses there, uh, Inner Temple and Middle Temple. And th- these are sort of like your professional homes. So there is, yes, a very traditional aspect to this, but these are the places where... If you will, you will graduate, for example, whenever you do your bar course. So you're not studying at those institutions, um, but they are there to support you throughout your education, firstly, and then in your professional career. And so you need to join one of those before you then embark upon getting a place on the bar course. And the the, the difference can be that the bar course itself can be very expensive, but the ends of court offer a range of scholarships gears touched briefly on the fact that she was successful in being awarded one, which has covered her course fees for the bar year. Uh, and then you also have to do sort of formal requirements. Like you have to go, Kira, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it 12 is still 12 qualifying what they call 10, ten um,
1: now. Yeah. 10 qualifying sessions.
2: So uh, qualified. So, uh, so these are sort of formal requirements before you even get to, you know, like actually studying on the, the, the course. Uh, And they happen throughout the year that you're studying the course. So you need to do these formal requirements. And and they're simply, you know, some of them are as simple as just going to dinner and meeting people. Um, Others, you know, you can go to lectures and maybe residential weekends where you can sort of do application workshops uh, or interview workshops, that sort of thing. Or uh, I think some you may get credit if you're doing uh, different extracurricular activities and stuff like that. And the Inns of Court, I'm very much involved in mine and sort of as of the new year, I will be on the interview panel for scholarships for people coming uh, or wanting to come to the the bar. So you need you need to do that. Um, And then, of course, you actually need to study a bar course to actually uh, qualify uh, to get called to the bar. So it's very different from an academic year of study. Kira is obviously on this course at the moment, so can speak more directly to it. But what I've advised Kira in the past and the way I find it was that the course itself is not any more difficult by any means than the degree path that you're on now. But there's a lot of work to do in a very short space of time and it's all practically focused. So you're not speaking in hypotheticals, you're not speaking about theory. You're actually applying the principles of what it will mean uh, so it's like taking your your driving lessons to learn how to pass your your driving test mm-hmm. so then once you get that you'll be called to the bar um all being well uh, and then the next two steps is if all smoothly you're offered what's called pupillage so this is your apprenticeship year uh, and as i say it, it's a it's a very tough system to get into there are very few places and it's it's very competitive. It took me six years of applying. But if anything, I don't say that to sort of scare people. I sort of say that to give people optimism that if you persevere, you will, you will get there. There are tricks that you can learn and pick up along the way on how to do applications and how to do interviews, the types of experience that you want to get. But it's a one-year apprenticeship. And then after that, you hope to secure what's called tenancy. Where basically they agree you've successfully completed pupillage for all of their purposes, and that they'll keep you on, and then you are a barrister in your own right, and you can take uh, your own instructions and work within that set of chambers. That's sort of the traditional route. Kier and I are slightly different in that we're both. I'm an I'm an employed barrister, so I'm employed by the government. So the training program is slightly different, and we can certainly talk about that if people have specific questions, but I thought for immediate purposes, it was best just to sort of give the the first principles of what it means to sort of joining in, try to get a scholarship, uh, do the bar course, do pupillage and then hopefully get tenancy. So I've rambled on for a little bit there, um, but we thought then within sort of that stuff, there's a subset of questions that Kier might be able to answer on. Applying for scholarships, studying on the bar courses she's doing now, and then the process of doing people's applications. So I'll hand back to you Kira.
1: Perfect, thank you. Um, so I think logically it might make sense to start with scholarship applications because they're sort of the first thing that I had to tackle. Um, so it was in your final year of your degree. Um, the scholarship applications will open, I believe, in the September. And then they close in the December, so I believe they've just closed for um, next year's round of bar course applications. Um, but if you were looking to, you know, start your bar course the year later, then you'll be looking for sort of next September to start applying. Um, so every inner court, as you've just heard sort of Jack talk about, will have slightly different um, application processes. Um, I can certainly sort of speak for Lincoln's in the fact that you first of all send off an application form. Um, So you'll, of course, include all of your sort of academics to date. You know, you'll talk about if you've got any sort of relevant legal work experience, answer questions about, you know, why you think the bar um, is, you know, the career for you, what skills you can bring to that career, different questions like that. Also, um, your practice area interests, things like that. So that's sort of the first stage. Um, Some of the inns of court will sift their applications um, and from that select some people to be invited to interview. Some of the ins will in um interview everyone. so it's kind of you can look into the different processes, see which one you think might be more beneficial. you know, if you think you're really going to shine an interview, um you know, perhaps you know applying to one of those ins that guarantees everyone an interview might be might look good for you. Um, I know Lincoln's itself, um I think it has over one and a half million pounds worth of scholarships that it gives out every single year. so it is a really fantastic resource to look into if you are looking to fund your bar course year. Um, the fees vary depending on what um, institution you go to. Um, to sort of quickly touch on what those institutions are, um, there's only certain places that are approved to sort of teach the bar course. Um, so I know sort of U- University of Law is where I, where I am at the minute, but they have um, different sort of branches all over the UK. So I'm at the London Bloomsbury, but they also have them in, you know, Nottingham, Chester, Leeds, sort of all over the UK, um, not in Northern Ireland, though, obviously, where you've got the, the Institute. Um, so there's all different institutions you can go to. There's also City University in London. Um, I believe there's Manchester Metropolitan. I think there's Nottingham Law School. And um, so you can look into the different sort of approved institutions, but typically the fees are around £14,000 for your bar course a year. And obviously, that doesn't include any of your sort of living expenses on top of that as well. So it is a very expensive year. Um, So, obviously, if you are able to kind of get one of those scholarships, it's a huge financial help. Um, Not just that, it also looks really good on your pupilage applications as well. So, it's certainly something to look into. Um, So, after I submitted my sort of written application, you then find out obviously whether you've been selected for interview. And the interview, um, the format of the interview sort of changes again depending on what inn you're applying to. And um, so at Lincoln's Inn, it's essentially just um, a panel interview. So you're there with sort of three other members. Usually one of the members will be sort of a venture um, of the inn, and usually they try to pair you with people who are practicing in the area of law that you want to go into. Um, so it will just be sort of um, an hour-long interview, with a series of questions. Um, They also tend to ask you to give a sort of a legal presentation um, about, you know, a topic in a legal topic in the news that you find interesting or something like that. Um, But I know for some of the other inns, they ask you to do an advocacy exercise, which is unseen. You you, you see it on the day and you have to kind of just prepare something then. Um, So, again, depending on what you think might work best for you, definitely look into what the different inns' process is, what you think, you know, might be better suited to um and then after that that's kind of the whole process and then you'll find out whether you've been sort of awarded a scholarship or not um as i said you know my scholarship covered my full bar course fees so it is a really really massive help i remember i was a little bit unsure whether to apply um because you know you hear of all these fantastic people who've got all this amazing legal experience and you think oh you know will it be me but my um My advice would be definitely put that application in um, because I think, you know, so long as you're really enthusiastic, you know, show, you know, what you can, what you can bring to the career and that you've really tried to put in the research. For example, you know, by attending this, this kind of seminar slash chat, you know, tonight that really shows that you're engaging with the profession. So, um, yeah, I would definitely advise to look in, look into those and obviously if any of you sort of have any questions. Please do feel free to sort of ask me on here or give me a message afterwards. Um, so I suppose kind of then moving on to the bar course year itself. Um, so yeah, as I said, you start in September and you finish in the May. So it's not even sort of a full year. Um, and as Jack was saying earlier, it's not sort of like your academic law degree where you're you know um, kind of being a bit theoretical about the law. It's more, you know, how the law applies in process and what you'll be doing, you sort of day in day out as a barrister, I suppose. So the way that my classes are split is I have litigation classes, and they are essentially the procedure behind the law. Um, and so you're kind of learning, you know, if it's in the criminal context, how do you know how are different cases heard in the courts, in the magistrates court, in the crown court? How are they allocated? Um, and then you also have your skills side of things. Um, so it will be things like how do you conduct a conference with your client? How do you do you know a, a civil submission, such as like a, a applying for strikeout? So you have those kind of two different aspects. So it's very engaging because you have those advocacy sessions every week. Um, you will also touch on things like professional ethics. So um you know, you turn up one day and with your pupil supervisor and they're drunk and they can't deal with their case, you know what do you do? One of those kind of typical scenarios, and you need to sort of know what are your professional obligations. Um, So that is kind of the bar course, I suppose, in a nutshell. And as Jack was mentioning earlier, also whilst you're doing the bar course, you also have to attend ten qualifying sessions. Um, So these can take quite a range. So they can be um, things like lectures. Um, So you you can go and listen to, for example, I went to a lecture the other day about the employed bar because obviously you know that's the route that I'm going to be taking so I got to hear from people in the government legal department themselves and often they'll sort of hold like drinks receptions or sometimes dinners afterwards as well which is great not only in sort, in sort of the fact that you can mingle with other you know other barristers in the profession but also other bar course students as well because obviously you know the bar course is not necessarily an easy year as Jack was mentioning earlier. It's just a lot of um, a lot of volume of work in quite a short space of time. So it's nice having you know meeting other people that you can kind of lean on each other's shoulders and you know moan about the marcos with. I suppose. Um, So I would definitely recommend to to get involved with your in. I've been trying to do so. I've done sort of seven qualifying sessions already, and you know they've all been um, really great. So definitely get involved with your in. if that's the route you choose to take. And of course, Jack and I are going to be biased and say, choose Lincoln's Inn, but no. All of the um, inns essentially do the same thing. So if you're worried about, you know, is there a particular inn that's better than the other or which one should I choose? They all will do the same thing. They all kind of provide qualifying sessions and hold different events. So um, it just depends on what you're looking for. Lincoln's is, is the oldest inn. Um, so it depends if you're looking for what's what the you know best looking in or which one has the most scholarship funds. There are you know lots of different reasons that people take for choosing the different inns. But if you're worried about um, which one should I choose, you know don't be because whichever one you choose, they will all be you know a fantastic place to be. But of course, we will say choose Lincoln's Inn. Um, so moving on, I suppose to pupillage applications. Um, on that note, to do with when you should apply uh, before you start your bar course you have to be a member of an inn and you have to set what's called the vcat it's the bar course aptitude test and um, so you have to do both of those things before you start your bar course but there's sort of no indication on when necessarily you have to you know choose an inn so what you could choose to do is apply to one particular inn for a scholarship um, but you don't necessarily have to become a member of that inn um, and when you are applying for a scholarship, just to note, you can actually only apply to one of the four inns. You can't put applications into all of them. Um, so essentially, I feel like you maybe have kind of chosen what in you want to go to when you when you pick on your scholarships. But it's not necessarily binding if you, you know, if you don't end up, you know, getting a scholarship from that in, you can go elsewhere. Um, so, yeah, you just have to make sure that you've joined your inn and sat the BCAP. Before you start your uh, bar course, so you don't have to have joined it in before you apply for a scholarship. Um, just a quick thing on the BCAT. Um, it's essentially, I'm not sure if, if any of you have looked into perhaps a solicitor route as well. It's kind of like the BARS version of the Watson Glazer test. Um, so it's kind of just, you know, critical thinking. Um, you have to just deduce um, certain things from, they'll give you like a paragraph, and you have to deduce what, um, you know, arguments from that particular paragraph and what would be a strong and a weak argument. Um, there are practice tests on their website. Um, it's not nothing too scary. Don't worry about it. Um, as long as you kind of have a look over the practice tests, you know, you'll be absolutely fine. It's just a thing to think about, obviously, if you are thinking to go down that route. Um, so yeah, no, finally getting to pupillage applications. So um, pupillage applications are sort of run through a centralized system. It's kind of like the UCAS for pupilages, but that's the way I would kind of describe it. Um, so every year around actually this time, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now that the pupilage Gateway opened and all of their advertisements um, were released. So it's not kind of like a normal job where you can kind of just apply at any time sort of throughout the year. Um, every year, the pupilage Gateway will open um, around this time of year, and then it closes the first week of February. So you kind of have to put, all of your applications in at once and so that's why it's often known to be a bit of a stressful period of time because not only are you perhaps maybe you know in your final year of your degree or you're on the bar course you're also sending off multiple applications as well um so yeah something is be mindful obviously of that time frame because it only happens once a year you can't apply any other time throughout the year um so they will all be released um, on this pupilage gateway you can make a login for free and kind of have a look now even if you're not thinking to apply for another couple of years, um, you can just have a look, see the type of things that are asked. Um, usually, there'll be quite standard questions such as, you know, why do you want to be a barrister? and um, What skills will make you a good barrister? Why this particular chambers? Um, but some chambers will also um, ask you different questions. They might have had a particular um, case that they were working on, quite a big case, and they want to hear your analysis or your thoughts on it. Um, So you can kind of just scroll through the gateway, you can filter it based on what area you want to go into, Um, and you can kind of have a look now if you want to, and just start getting a bit of an idea of the types of questions they'll be asking. Um, So you can apply to up to 20 chambers on the People's Gateway every year. Um, However, I probably should mention that not all chambers will um, take applications through the gateway. So all chambers have to advertise. If they have a vacancy it will be on there but sometimes they will sort of do their own sort of private application cycle so instead you might send a cv or cover letter so also if you're looking to sort of maximize your numbers if you have the time um, also look at those sets which are sort of non-gateway as well um, and of course i guess i have to do a little bit of a plug for the government legal department given that we're both going there and um, so their application cycle actually runs outside of the typical pupillage gateway cycle um, I believe they're the only one maybe alongside the CPS um, that actually run outside of the pupillage gateway cycle. So um their applications open in June. Um, and it's a slightly different to um pupilage gateway in that the pupillage, uh, typical pupilage, you send off your application form. Um, and then what will then happen is you'll be find you'll find out if you've been invited to um interview, and there's usually a few rounds. Um so typically the first round is Questioning on your application form, just finding out more about yourself, about your legal experience. Um, often, then, second round interview will be you will have an advocacy um, task um, alongside a bit of an interview. And then some chambers will also do sort of like a third, final round interview as well. Um, but it's all sort of centralized. So I think it's something like the 6th of May every year, you'll find out from your chambers whether you've been sort of offered pupillage, and then you can kind of select um as and when and um, that happens so that's kind of a brief overview of um how it happens for chambers but for government it's more of a sort of civil service type application um, so you will first put in an application form um, then it's a number of tests like a critical thinking situational judgment verbal reasoning um and then it's kind of like a video interview um and then you will have what's called an assessment center so you have like a written task alongside another interview um, and then so that's the process for government i mean we can talk about it in more detail obviously if that's that's of interest but don't want to bore those who, who it's not of interest to um, but just to kind of show you the differences there between obviously the application for self-employed bar and employed bar um, so i think we can obviously go on to um, a bit of advice for applications and things like that but i think i'll pass over to jack to maybe get us started on that but hopefully that's a good overview of everything
2: that's great, thanks, that I'm just going to add a couple of points. Um, if people are concerned about money and if you're not in a position where you're fortunate enough to get a scholarship to do the bar course, there are career development loans available from banks. Maybe not the most <laughs> appealing route to go down, um, but we should all, I can sort of say at the outset, I said, pardon me, that even if you're not in the fortunate position, where you're going straight into pupillage after your studies doing the bar course, you will get good work afterwards, which is relevant, which is in the legal sector if that's what you want um so i it, it's awful to sort of think about piling on more debt, especially whenever you know this your generation of students you know it's worse than mine, which was worse than the year, uh, the ones preceding me um but there are other ways around it and and if you are fortunate enough to secure a before you start your bar course and uh, ordinarily you can draw down part of the pupilage award uh, to cover the cost of your fees uh, in the same way that law firms offering solicitors training contracts often offer um, so that was just what I wanted to add very briefly um, so yeah I thought it was useful it would be useful for me to give my perspective as a practitioner now into the sort of application and interview process because uh, and Kira will attest to that you know sort of just showing how there are certain little tricks and there's not that you can sort of do and if you put the work in and get the the sort of mentality right uh, and sort of understand the questions that you're being asked and answer them in a particular way it's sort of maximizing your opportunities for success in terms of being invited for an interview for example um, and, and so Kira was given a few examples of questions that might seem just sort of really esoteric. You know, like, well, why am I being asked why they would be a virus? or surely we're past that point. Um but it it took me a long time to sort of work out, you know, six years to work out what was the best way of addressing this question. And it was uh, it was somebody who offered um some mentoring to me through my in and Kira will be speaking a little bit more about mentoring um after I finish on this section who really said to me, look, be honest with the person that's reading the form. Like, just tell me why, why do you want to be a barrister? Because you sort of see that question or questions like it. And you feel like I must answer it in a particular way. I must, you know, talk about the uh, independence of self-employment and how that will all be great. And by the way, whenever you get into the working world, it's really good to have a salary and benefits and all, all that sort of stuff. So, um, don't say things that you think people want to hear um because well first off if you're not being genuine it's very easy to tell that but secondly as well it won't be an original thought it's very difficult to come up with something in answer to that question that people haven't seen before or they haven't seen variations of it before so there were people i spoke to and they said look i'm going to tell you this is how I approach the question. I lent on my personal experience, my personal story, to use a horrible you know, hackneyed phrase, not like I'm on X Factor or something, if that's even still a thing. Um, and, I'm, and they were saying to me, I'm going to tell you this because you can't possibly use this example because it's not from your life. So whenever I was then going about and sort of nearing my wit's end, it's like, what more do I have to do? for somebody to finally offer me that place, I started reflecting on, okay, I'm from Northern Ireland. Um, you know, I I was 10 years old whenever the good Friday agreement, um, or just I was turning 10 when the good Friday agreement was signed. So, you know, I'm coming out of just sort of that last generation that remembers the end of the troubles into the new generation. That's, you know, hopefully benefiting from peace going forward. And so I was leaning on my experience as somebody from, Northern Ireland, and you know the the how you maybe want to watch what you say, or traditionally would have wanted to watch what you say in certain parts of Northern Ireland, and how, like for me, being somebody who's in such a proponent of free speech, that sort of really um went against what I thought, or because uh, and I don't you know credit to my family, you know, in as much as it was always possible to be. Um, I knew somebody who was relatively moderate in Northern Ireland. We were brought up uh, to respect people from whatever background and sort of to have that empathy and that understanding that, okay, you might hold a certain position on things, but you understand where other people are coming from. And so I was sort of taking those things that i learned and the where initially I would have shied away from because like, I didn't want to be pigeonholed or something like that, or just saying something that was sort of pie in the sky. It's like, no, actually that is a concrete example where I was learning things without realizing throughout my development, which then whenever you think about it, like, well, this is actually why I want to be in a position where I can advocate on behalf of others, um, you know, and relate to people, you know, based on their experience and be that person when you know all hope is perhaps lost for people and again this might all sound pie in the sky but but there is a way that you can borrow from your own personal experiences and put them down on paper in such a way that they they come across as genuine and you you you, you'll see the answers that are really good and, and people that are able to do that and you know kira and i have had this conversation because whenever kira was starting out and sending me Applications to review, you know, you were doing things similar to what I was doing. It's like, these are the boxes I have to tick. You know, this is what barristers want to hear. And I was saying to Keira, "Look, go back to first principles and I won't embarrass you, Kira. <laughs> you know, you can share your own uh, sort of story about, you know, early experiences that sort of drew you to the bar. But the advice I'd give uh, and the advice I would always give first and foremost is just be honest. Um, And then if you are honest, you know, you're then talking about at the end of the day, you're being invited, you're being invited to talk about yourself and nobody knows you better than yourself. And it's not arrogant. And I think, especially in Northern Ireland, for those of you who are from Northern Ireland on the call, um, uh, and I'm sure David will agree with this as well. There's an awful tendency in Northern Ireland for people to sort of think, oh, you know, I shouldn't get too big for my boots. You know, I shouldn't you know it's arrogant if I say such and such a thing and to my mind you know what I've always observed is you know Northern Ireland outperforms the rest of the UK in exams every year and yet you know from what I perceive is not represented in the way it should be in sort of these professions uh, or, or others like it because people don't think they belong there and that's a nonsense you know that you sell yourself and don't be afraid Of what other people are going to think about that because I'm still doing it to this day, you know, I say in, in work, one of the campaigns i got involved with, with the bar council, I was uh, invited to become a social mobility advocate. And part of me was like sort of, oh, oh, shucks, you know, saying this to my colleagues at the bar in work and they're like, stop hiding stop shying away from the achievement. You can celebrate it. And there's no, you don't need to be ashamed. Uh, sort of perversely you don't need to be ashamed of what you're achieving so sell yourself uh, and then I think but the, the other key thing as well um, before you're even getting to the content of what you put in the form is just structure 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 and I say it three times because that's the easiest way uh, to sort of approach things and I'm sure all of, for those of you who are are mooters on the call and this is i'm sure feedback that you will get you structure your argument and you do it it is a piece of written advocacy like the memorials that you would be submitting uh for your mooding exercises and you so there's just easy ways of saying it's like there are three points i want to address in response to this question you don't even need to phrase it like that. just go number one two three um and put down the points put them down concisely Barristers are busy people. We just want to be told what we need to be told. Uh, so communicate it in a crisp way where we've got all of that information. Um, don't waffle. And again, these are things that you're you're probably thinking is like, well, that's all basic stuff. But even though you know all that in the back of your mind, it's amazing how quickly you forget it. Uh, I'm sure many of you have been in a position where you're given a 3,000-word essay, and so you just start to type. It's like I And mean, your goal at first is, I just need to get to 3,000 words. And then, of course, by the time you get to 3,000 words, you realize I should have planned this better because actually I'm going to write another 2,000 here and it's going to be a devil of a time cutting this back down to size. Um, so be conservative in your use of words. And I realize that that was a, a very long way of me telling you to be short and to the point, but it's because it it's it's crucial. Um, and use use concrete examples as well and don't be afraid either of you of you might think an example is too silly to put on a form but what people are looking for is to see that you have the ability to reflect on your experiences and identify those skills or those things that you've learned which will apply in practice and no example is too silly Uh, I put down for example about stacking shelves in Tesco, doing night shifts whenever I was doing my Masters at Queen's. Uh, and I and i was tongue-in-cheek about the way I put it on the form uh, because, you know, it's the best will in the world, You, um, and all credit to people that are doing that, especially over the past year and a half. But there's not an awful lot you can say beyond I put items on a shelf you sort of overnight. But what it was showing was that you're not adverse to hard work uh i think one of the examples kira had was about sort of part-time work uh as a, a barista and um she came there was a good line that kira then had in her form about sort of the, the the resemblance in the word barista and barrister and sort of going from one to the other but more importantly about just learning how to deal with people learning how to deal with tricky customers and having to sort of understand what their needs are and how you can provide a service um so think about things practically. And then the final thing I would say for now, I think uh, in terms of applications is if you can demonstrate throughout what I term commercial awareness. And what I mean by that is sort of have an understanding about the fact that the law is a business. And I don't necessarily mean that you're going to be going into sets of chambers or to anywhere else and say, look, I, I was a paralegal somewhere and therefore all of the people, all the solicitors I work with will give me work. It's nice that you're thinking that way. The reality is, of course, that's not going to be the case straight away. But what they understand from you is that you already have your eye cast to the future where you'll be thinking, I need to generate business for myself. And they see that I'm willing and able to do that long term. And so they'll invest in me because I can enhance their reputation. So always remember that wherever it is you're applying to, they want to get something out of you as much as you want to get something out of them. Uh, and so that's, I suppose that covers you know, a few different things, but primarily the written stage of forms, whenever it comes to, um, interview stage as Kira uh, rightly says, you know, often you'll go to your first interview in standard format. You'll be asked questions based upon your form. You'll maybe be asked an ethical question. Uh, you'll be put under pressure. It's it, and it's within a very short window of time, so you have very only a few moments to make a good impression. Um, but the the reason that you're being put under pressure is they want to see how you react. If you're up in court and the judge is putting you under pressure, how will you react? And just as a side note, actually, there's a, you know real benefit. You know, log on, watch the courts in action online, even just see how. If you watch barristers uh, in court, and then I was applying this whenever I was in court uh, during my training, um, a lot of it is more a conversation with the judge, especially if you're doing uh, areas of law outside crime. Um, uh, and it's about sort of helping the judge navigate the material or be to sort of you want to you're wanting to assist the court. You are an officer of the court. you are a neutral. And you have to uh, help them see that your argument is sound and is based upon information. And you talk them through it, you refer them to the materials, uh, and the same then will go like try and show those things in interview, remain calm, stick to your guns if you're put under pressure. They want to see that you can withstand a barrage and have a confidence in your arguments. Um, and so you'll often be asked, you'll be asked questions, which, it, you know, it could be a topical issue uh, on the tube on the way back there this evening I was reading uh, about proposed legislation for assisted dying in Scotland and whenever I was interviewed for my bar course scholarship in Manchester I was asked about euthanasia and I had been studying it as part of the medical and ethics um, topic with Queen's and so it didn't matter what position I adopted you just pick one and you argue it. Um, and they will pick topics where it is possible to come at it from either angle, but they just want to see that you have the courage of your convictions. Uh, and then as Kira says, yes, in the second round, if you're lucky enough to be invited back, you'll probably be given, you know, a mix of maybe a written exercise. You might get an oral advocacy exercise. The panel will probably be a bit bigger. The interview will last a bit longer. Um, but by that stage, by the time you get the second round interview, you really are good enough. To be at the bar, they they say if you get if you get invited to interview, you're clearly good enough because they've seen it on paper. They've seen what you can bring to the table, and then they're testing you in the first round. Whenever you get the second round, it really could be any one of you. Uh, and often, and you know, there there are issues with this. You'll find that you know in, in different places have their own different personalities, uh, and that doesn't always necessarily sit well with me because it's like well you know sometimes especially when you go through such a long period and you're applying for so long and you start to question like what is it i'm doing am i just not fitting in but you know by and large just a more general point the bar is a friendly place many people do their best to help um other uh, people uh and it is it is a small world, but I don't necessarily it I don't necessarily mean that in terms of its representation. It's still got a long way to go, but it is getting better. But but what I mean by it being a small world is like if you use your institutions like, urines of court or you know you working solicitors firms, you will get to know people at the profession very quickly. Um, and uh, it's and uh, David just a sort of a, a personal example from here and in terms of how much of a small world it is that we've actually ended up just completely coincidentally being neighbors in kent <laughs> uh, just completely coincidentally but you, you know i will go at times you know if I, if I go to leeds the last time i was in leeds i just ran into somebody that, that was on the bar course at a different institution and we just recognized each other and stopped for a chat because you're often the training events together um, and it is worth sort of making use of those uh, contacts that you have um, so there's no trick to networking. Um, uh, and whenever I say networking, it's not necessarily in that horrible sort of old boys club. There is obviously, there are elements of that, but I actually think, um, if I can sort of say this, that arguably that's worse in Northern Ireland than others can perhaps, um, and that sort of perhaps speaks to one of the reasons that I opted for the bar over here. Um, but again, sort of very long and rambling, um, I, but but on that note, just in helping people, I think Kira was going to speak very briefly about uh, mentoring. I'm sure we w- want to get to questions as well. I was just going to give a quick view on pupillage and practise afterwards, but um, hopefully this shouldn't take too long. So Kira,
1: Yeah, no, it won't be too long because I know you probably want to enjoy your evening. Um, but no, just to sort of quickly echo based on sort of applications, um, what Jack was saying just then, Um, I think what's important to remember when you're writing your applications at the end of the day is that barristers are just normal everyday people. I think sometimes it's quite hard to remember that because you think, you know, you need to impress them. But, you know, they are normal people and they just want to hear interesting stories. You know, they have hundreds and hundreds of these applications to read. And if every single one says, you know, oh, um, you know, in my, you know, spare time, you know, just I read or just, just something that everyone's going to say they're not necessarily going to find it very interesting whereas if you have you know an interesting story that inspired you to you know start looking into law or if you've got a really kind of cool unique hobby definitely include it you might think well how is it relevant to law but all it takes is for someone at chambers to have that cool unique hobby as well and think and it makes you memorable so i would say you know definitely you know just feel free to kind of put down whatever you think can be sort of tied to the law even if it's not necessarily legal in itself you can kind of make you know deductions so for example it might be that from that particular thing you've got interpersonal skills and that you've kind of you've gained from that particular task so don't kind of write things off if it's non-legal they definitely want to hear about things that you're doing outside of the legal sphere as well Um, and then just a quick thing on kind of picking chambers too my key tip would be um, just have a look at a few chambers websites and just look at their list of barristers i think what's particularly helpful is look at their recent pupils have a look at their profiles um, then you'll get a bit of an idea as to you know what they might have done you know what university they went to you know what grade they got um, you know what they did before coming to the bar were they a paralegal etc and sometimes it can give you quite helpful tips if you're looking for different experience maybe that you might want to to seek out um, so yeah, just a quick thing on that, um, but no, moving to, I just wanted to speak briefly sort of about mentoring. Um, so Jack mentioned earlier that I first met Jack when um, David Kappa, Dr. Kappa was lucky enough to um, to select me to obviously go to Lincoln's Inn on the Queen's trip. Um, and so obviously I went to Lincoln's Inn, that was the first time I'd actually been there. Um, and it's sort of like a university networking dinner so they kind of give you a talk on you know what the inn does um you know how you can join and um, so you can get more information about it um and also you then sort of have a dinner and you can sit and they put you sort of with barristers so you can um sort of chat with them about what life at the bar is like pupillage all of that kind of stuff and it was there that um i i met jack at the time and um, so i was only in my first year of queens Um, And yeah, obviously we just, we got, we got speaking and I sort of said about, you know, my aspirations for the bar Um, and, you know, ever since um, Jack's been really, really helpful in, you know, any time that I had, you know, a question that I wasn't sure of, um, I could sort of go to him and, you know, throughout his experience, he was able to sort of pass on what he'd learned to me to sort of make my experience easier, which obviously I'm very, very grateful for. Um, And so... I would say if you sort of have the opportunity to, to reach out to people, definitely do don't be shy, have the confidence to just reach out because, especially at the bar, as Jack was saying earlier, people are very friendly. They've been through the process themselves. They know it's not easy. Um, and I know sort of from myself, having the support from Jack has been, you know, so, so helpful. And because of that, I've actually sort of started mentoring, um someone now who's just um completed their law degree, they're on the GDL at the moment they're hoping to go to the bar. And I think there's that element of kind of wanting to give back definitely because people have been through the process. Um, so I myself don't have anyone in my family that's you know involved with the law. So it was, you know, a bit of an alien concept to me, especially, you know, with how complicated I suppose from an outside perspective going to the bar might be. Um, and so I would, yeah, definitely um say if you are able to sort of reach out to anyone, you know, feel free to reach out to, to the both of us after this talk. I know we definitely love to, you know, answer your questions or help you in any way we can. Um, because yeah, I know for sure that I definitely couldn't have done it without without Jack. So yeah, <laughs> do feel free to to reach out to us and do just put yourself out there. Don't worry about, you know, you know, them not coming back to you or anything like that, because you don't know sort of what experiences you might get out of it. Like I did, for example, a mini pupilage when I was 17. um, And I've kind of kept in contact with the barrister. And, you know, now I was able to kind of get some sort of like paralegaling role from that. So definitely, you know, the power of networking, um, it is a really great skill to learn as well. Obviously, once you get to the bar, if you're self-employed, you know, you will be trying to kind of help get your own work. So having those interpersonal skills will be really helpful. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to sort of really echo that if you are able to to reach out to someone and to gain advice from them it you know you're able to learn from all of the the things that the experiences they've had and all of the hard ways you know they've had to learn certain pieces of information they can kind of just pass that on to you and it makes your life so much easier um so definitely um looking for that if that's something that you're interested in and um, there are lots of different sort of mentoring schemes obviously you know we're here today obviously as alumni of queens you know we would love to to help out but there's also different kind of associations for different areas of law as well, which all have mentoring schemes. And um, so does Lincoln's Inn as well. So that's something that, you know, I've got myself involved with. So there's lots of different, you know, avenues that you can seek help and advice from, even just, you know, messaging someone random on LinkedIn that's at your dream chambers, you know, just do it because it will, you know, give you so much sort of helpful advice and insight. Um, so yeah, I think I don't want to 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 be too long because I know we probably want a chance to get to questions, and um, but hopefully that kind of quickly sums that up.
2: <laughs> yeah, thanks, Kira. And I, you know, I should say as well, that from my point of view, you know, in terms of the people that sort of I identify and sort of enjoy mentoring, you know, Kira has been the model mentee and sort of, um, yeah, but uh, and. As far as you know i think the both of us are concerned sort of that professional relationship will continue um and obviously just again is coming in to to work with where i'm working um uh, and so you know hopefully then i sort of joke with kira that in time if ever i'm applying to become a qc she can do a reference for me um but but more seriously in terms of what i'm from as a sort of without sounding too full <laughs> whenever i'm looking at it from a mentor's perspective i'm sort of thinking all right the students that actually need you know help not because they're not good but it because they are good but don't necessarily have the connections um that others will and you know i'm I'm not going to you know if somebody asks me a question of course i'm going to ask and i'm going to try and be as helpful as i can um but i think for me especially because it was so tough getting in and i should say this similar to what kira was saying you know i'd first in person, my, my family to go to university, uh, and certainly the, the first in, in law uh, in terms of my immediate sort of family network. And social mobility has therefore become something that I've become quite involved with and I sort of try and speak and write about. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, it's that the people I want to help are the people I want to see come into the profession, because to my mind, the variety of experiences will only enrich the profession because it's, it's giving people, it's giving the profession a different perspective. And if we're trying to empathize with other people and understand where they're coming from, uh, well, surely it's best that you have a wide variety of, of people coming in, uh, and, and certainly from a mentor's perspective, you, you, you will identify and you'll see people who definitely have it and just need, uh, a guiding hand, uh, and it's, um, uh, some. Uh, more than others. Um, but it, it's always nice to sort of then uh, sort of see that success. Um, uh, and then, as Kira said, you know, I'm delighted, for example, with Kira, you know, sort of taking on mentees herself you know, and I continue to do it through the inn. Um, uh, and I benefited from it. Uh, and, you know, even to this day, there are people within the inn that I know that I can go to if I have a question about something um, or, you know, in, in former jobs and things like that. And I know that they will sort of be responsive and give me really good practical advice. Um, and it starts just with being bold enough to ask the question. So don't ever, you know, shy away. Um, sort of, I learned my first job as a green grocer in Portadown. You don't ask, you don't get. Um, so just don't be don't be backward and coming forward, I think, is the expression. Um, the final thing I was just going to speak about, and I promise I will be breaker on this, is just to sort of describe... Pupillage in practice. So, a pupillage year traditionally is one year. And this is what you need to do, obviously, to be able to finally get your practicing certificate and enter practice in your own right. And pupillage is split into two periods of six months. So, the first six month period is traditionally a period where you would shadow uh, a person in your chambers if that's the route you, you go and. We can speak about GLD because it's slightly different, but I, for the purposes of this, I'll, I'll stick to sort of the most common way of doing it. Uh, so you would shadow a person for six months. You'd probably do you know bits and pieces of written work and things like that for them, and you would do internal advocacy training. In your second six months, you will then be given instructions in your own right. You will probably go into court. Um, you'll be given a provisional practice and certificate, and you'll go in and you'll get to order cases, and you will be treated like, an ordinary member of Chambers, you sort of think about it as a probationary period, I suppose. Um, and, you know, you'll get the solicitors. I know I was seconded to set of Chambers from government in my second six-month period, and my supervisor's approach was very much whatever file came in from the solicitor, I got it as it was, um, was, and I had to work out from the solicitor's instructions what the questions were being asked, what it was that I had to do, and get that information you know, down on paper or whatever else needed to be done and work it out. Uh, and if I was wrong um, about something, I'd be told and you'd to go back and do it again. Um, but you, you're not necessarily going to win uh, praise on a regular basis because it's the day job. That is what we are paid to do. Um, and it was an immensely beneficial experience in terms of learning the independence required and having the courage of your convictions and the confidence to do the research and apply it practically, and come up with the solution. Sometimes the questions the clients don't even know that they're asking, uh, and putting it away and guiding them. And this is what you need to do next. This is your likelihood of success. This is the information I need from you, the solicitor or the the lay client, to sort of be able to advise on this more fully. That sort of thing. You would be drafting pleadings, be going to court, and all that sort of stuff. And then after that period ends, all being well, you'll get your tenancy get your practice and certificate and then you're off uh, on your own um but you know obviously your your colleagues and chambers or wherever else you know they're always there to sort of you know to, you can talk through matters and things like that but that's in theory that's you yeah and you'll develop your expertise as you go uh, and the benefit of the chamber system is that you have a clerk in network at the ready uh, and chambers will be known by reputation so you don't need to worry necessarily about scrambling for work if you're in a good set of chambers because work will be coming in from the solicitors and whoever else um, that knows that chambers uh, and it should hopefully make its way to junior members of the profession so that they can get an experience and work their way up so i i think and i apologize but i think you and i intended to sort of try and uncover the first all of that chunk of about half the time um, but I suppose whenever we got onto it, hopefully it's preempted questions. And I think it's because, yeah, there, there's so much to say about the bar we are still scratching just the surface of the iceberg. Um, but hopefully that's been helpful. Uh, and as I said, don't be backwards and coming forwards to ask us questions. now. Uh, feel free if you're comfortable coming
0: off camera or just come off mic and shout them out to us and, and we'll do our best.
1: If anyone's there.
0: <laughs> well, if there's a little bit of reticence about asking questions, Jack and Kira, maybe I could say a few things that are designed to um, give people listening in hope, belief that they can succeed at this. Um, one of the things that Jack mentioned, um, was, um, the value of having a diverse profession. Um, Keira mentioned her Lincoln's Inn trip, um, a few years ago, and I've been leading that, um, for a few years now. We didn't have one last year and I haven't heard anything about one this year for obvious enough reasons, but, through that as well, the inclusivity message has been conveyed. The bar is a profession which exists to serve the public. And the bar doesn't serve the public well if every barrister is a public school boy or a public school girl in their school life. They have to draw in people from. Every section of our community, if they are going to serve the community in the best possible way. So, what recruiters to the bar are looking for is talent. Jack has also said that the exam results in Northern Ireland comfortably outperform the rest of um, the United Kingdom. So, you know, if you're a Queen's student, you're up there with the best, you've got much, much to offer and every reason to believe that you can't be successful at this. And uh, let me tell you about a few other people who have made it from Queen's to the bar, early stages, bar in England. I'm talking about, we've got Jack and Kira with the Government Legal Service, uh, and Lincoln's Inn. We've also got Chris Monaghan, um, also Lincoln's Inn, who's got a pupilage with that, uh, a set of commercial law chambers, very prestigious set of commercial law chambers, so prestigious I've forgotten their name, but he actually got about half a dozen offers of pupilages after having several interviews where he just didn't quite make the final cut. He eventually made a breakthrough, acquired the experience of doing these interviews, and then it was like waiting for a bus, you know, done for half an hour and then 31 old once. All these offers came in very, very prestigious chambers. Uh, Kira Olawundi, who was a um, mentor with us several years ago, she uh, has uh, a pupillage in uh, um, criminal law chambers. Uh, she's in her temple. So another of the inns where we have, um you know, uh, presents and, uh, and Anna Hughes uh, greys Inn in, and uh, family law chambers, you know, so it's growing. People from Queen's are storming that citadel of the barn in England. And I'm sure there are others that uh, I can't recall at uh, at this particular time. And um, another thing too, which I would emphasize, it's the point that Jack made about just be honest about yourself. Uh, Don't try and think What do these folk want to hear? Because if you go with a false story, you'll be caught out. You'll be like the witness who's giving lies. And um, when cross-examined about something which the script doesn't quite fit, because of course the script is never true to begin with, the fact that they are telling porkies will come to light. So you've got to speak about yourself, about your experiences. And don't ever think that any of the experiences you have had are insignificant, they're not. Um, one of the things that persuaded me that Siobhan Kagan would make the best Chief Justice for Northern Ireland was the way that she handled moots at Queen's. She was a model of professionalism, a model of courtesy and politeness and encouragement, you know, she didn't come along as judge in residence to judge our boots, thinking, you know, I'm a high court judge destined to be Chief Justice of Northern Ireland, this is beneath me. She realized how important it was to treat people with respect. It's through little things very often that you get the measure of a person. If somebody is able to see past their own importance to realize the importance of treating other people with respect and doing a job, whatever job it is, to the best of their ability, that's how that person shows what a great person they are. So, you know, sports, drama, music, stacking shells and Tesco's, it's very much a team game. All of those things will from time to time present challenges where something goes wrong, and you're the person on the spot has to deal with it. You have to step up to the plate and show that leadership ability. You can show all sorts of things about yourself in very, very simple things. So don't be ashamed about anything. Everybody has got much to offer.